Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where you and your unique business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Era Katz. Era's breastfeeding experience led her to the microbiome and inspired a personal mission to explore the importance of microbes and how they can impact the health of our bodies, our children, and our planet. A serial entrepreneur, Era also advises various startups across the health, tech, and consumer verticals. Before we begin, this podcast conversation is between adults and contains a little adult language. So if you have little ones near you, you might want to use your headphones. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Era. I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited. So you have an amazing career as a serial entrepreneur in a range of industries, which is really unusual. So tech, media, consumer brands. What is it that calls you about being an entrepreneur? Oh, it's a great, it's a great question. I think, I think when I, it's funny because, you know, some, the world kind of brands you and, and labels you um, a number of things. I, I learned when I went into startups that storytelling is called marketing, as an example. Um, certainly, I, I don't think I woke up one day and said, I want to be an entrepreneur. Um, but I would say from a very young age, I knew um, two things that I love to create. Um, and I loved um, connecting dots that were previously not connected. And I think those two things, when they are combined, um, look uh, very much like building businesses and, and creating things out in the world. For me, whether it was a, a film um, or a company, uh, they always kind of had that core core DNA for at least for me and my journey with them. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I was a little surprised to hear that you didn't sort of go into it thinking, I want to be an entrepreneur. So that's really an interesting um, aspect of, of what how, why you've, you're doing what you're doing. Do you think it allows you to have more impact well, by being an entrepreneur versus something yeah, else? The way, the way versus, you just asked the question actually really prompted me to think about another part of my, I guess, you know, it's always interesting to know where someone's hustle comes from. Um, and of course people have different words for it, but you know, I, I actually, I, I grew up, I went to a school with a lot of really, um, a lot of really wealthy kids. And I think there was something in me very early on that really wanted me to own my destiny. Um, I, I felt like I, I, I wanted to be kind of in control of, um, of, of, of outcomes and um, of, of, I guess, of, of, and, and really kind of think about my agency in creating um, a life that uh, honestly would come from <laughs> some really hardcore hustling. And so, and, and, and that, and that was kind of like this weird yin yang to like my love of creating, um, which was that there was kind of, um, you know, a, 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 an experience that I think in seeing so much, um, at an early age that really just, I think just created like a little bit of a drive in me to want to make sure that, um, you know, I, I could have, um, I could have and create what I wanted. And I think that 
I do, I do think that was a big part of it. So I don't think I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like I thought of it that way, but I do think there was like a, mm-hmm. there was a, a, in all of the creativity and all of the two sides of the brainness, there was definitely like one side hustle and one side like creating. And I think those two, the tension and, and the, the in between both of those parts of me have always really kind of driven what, whatever I've created. And I think the, the, those are two things that I do think are, are formulaic to, I think, a lot of um, serial entrepreneurs. Yeah. Well, I, I'm intrigued by, I mean, you've used the word hustle a few times. So what's your definition of hustle? Um, you know, I think it, it's not, you know, I, I'm actually a fairly spiritual person. And, and as a longtime yogi, one would think that maybe is diametrical, diametrically opposite to um, kind of <laughs> I think the the new memes of of kind of stillness and mindfulness and grounding, but I think what it means is a little bit of an incessant. Um, as a as a fairly spiritual person, I think that term is not you know is it could could seem quite opposite from a lot of the the kind of semantics of mindfulness and you know a lot of the the things that I really deeply believe um, that are imp- really important for um, for creating meaning and uh, and and substantial impact. But by hustle, I think I've always meant this kind of incessant need to create, um, not kind of how it's used a little bit more euphemistically in like the startup world, um, but very much like this just incessant wanting to build and create and amplify um, the way that, and, and I think create, you know, I think an impact. Um, and it hasn't always been really necessarily financial, uh, which I think the term is often used in conjunction with. Um, although that is a nice kind of upside when, when something works. Um, but I do think it, it's a little bit of this kind of this, a burning or, or an incessant love and, um, and desire and passion for creating. Um, and, and as I said earlier, kind of the connecting of dots that haven't been connected before has always been something that um, it, I've always seen as part of my, my hustle. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that too. I, that- Kind of pulling things together from a diverse, all kinds of diverse things and, and bringing it together into something new. It's exciting. It's creative, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, tell us about Seed because it's, it's kind of a unique company. And I'm really curious about what, what impact you see Seed having. But tell us first a little bit more about it and, and how you came to it. Sure. So, so Seed Health, which is really the the primary and the parent company seed is our um, consumer innovations brand um, which m- many people kind of know us by today um, and certainly it's where um, we first were what were we were first public about um, but seed health mm. kind of going up a level is really I mean we are a microbial sciences company so really kind of hardcore life sciences as our DNA um, looking at applications of bacteria for human and environmental health. So on the human side, that can mean on the consumer side, for, for example, um, the future of, of probiotics um, and, um, and areas of kind of preventive, um, preventive health. Um, and then on the other side of human health, that also means uh, therapeutics. So that means, you know, um, probiotics that will go through um, and living organisms that will go through FDA phase trials for really specific um, diseases and pathologies. So for example, we announced last summer Luca Biologics, which is our women's health therapeutics company, and that's looking at living medicines for urogenital and reproductive health. So thinking about um, how, for example, we can put a recurrent UTI therapeutic through phase trials um, 
And UTI is urinary tract infection, exactly. Yes, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, which is a huge cost to um, healthcare system. Uh, there's currently, due to antibiotic resistance, a major problem um, with uh, pr- current primary standards of care. Um, and uh, and for any women who I'm sure are, are listening, uh, recurrence is, is, a, is a very large problem. Um, and, you know, 50% of women in the entire world will get a UTI in their lifetime. So it's a, it's a huge unmet medical need. So we're, we're you know, on the preventive side of, of human health, we're always thinking about areas where microbes are going to really fundamentally change the way we think about our bodies um, and the way we care for our bodies. So as a good example, like our skin is a whole ecosystem or ecology um, that really needs to be rethought in terms of the way we care for it or oral care, the way we think about our oral microbiome and the microbes that live in our in our mouth and, and how those are connected to our health. Um, uh, both locally and systemically, and then how we could change, you know, for example, in the next five, 10, 10 years, we're going to see major changes in even just the toothpaste aisle. So we're looking at areas where microbes are going to really change the way we just think about our bodies, the way we make choices every day, and then, of course, the way we care for those parts of our bodies. Um, and, and then, of course, the, 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 the downstream benefit and impact. And then on the therapeutic side, we look at um, areas of uh, where microbes will become or replace the primary standard of care for really big unmet medical needs. So as I mentioned earlier, I, we talked about UTI, but also um, things like preterm birth, uh, bacterial vaginosis, IBD, uh, food allergy. Those are just to name a few. Hmm. And IBD, IBD is irritable bowel disease? Yes. That's you're referring to? Yes, okay. which um, what ladders up under that is typically defined as ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, and each of them kind of present a little differently, but they're kind of under the umbrella term of IBD. Yeah. Yeah. I just want uh, listeners to really understand what you're, the full extent of what you're talking about. So, so yeah, I mean, I was interested in, uh, I mean, to take Seed as an example of a company where you're really, you're promoting a supplement that's kind of a combination of a pre and pro biotic. And in a way that's, um, you're, you're, challenge a little bit is creating a market for that. Because I think people have this sort of perception that, oh, yeah, I'll just go to the grocery store, buy me some yogurt, and I'll be fine. Whereas, you know, of course, it's much more complicated than that. Is is that, do you see that as part of your challenge? And and I think it's one that a lot of startups and, and early company, early ventures have. So I'm curious how you've addressed that, if, if that's where you feel things stand. Yeah, it's, you know, look, the, the, the category I can say in the United States, because the term probiotic is not regulated in the U.S., where it is very tightly regulated in other parts of the world. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a tremendous amount of noise. Um, I think we, you call it a challenge, we see it, we call it an opportunity uh, as delusional <laughs> founders. Um, yes, you are absolutely right that a lot of our challenge in the U.S., although, as I mentioned, not as much internationally because the term is so well-regulated and, and to qualify as we do under a number of those categories, like, for example, in the EU, um, it is it is easier to have immediate credibility because, um, uh, because of the regulation. But in the U.S., it is hard to get through all the noise when everybody thinks that, you know, every kimchi and kombucha or yogurt is technically <laughs> a right. and, and we really think education is our superpower. Um, I think we've really um, spent, we spend a tremendous amount of time on content and education and, and really not for the purpose of, of promoting our product, but actually for 
um, being able to be a resource for people to um, to better understand um, this category, where you know, as, as you pointed out, um, due to the noise and the challenge, that where evangelism has really well outpaced evidence, um, and so we are really we're really spend a lot of time myth busting and and certainly trying to educate we build a lot of um ways that people can um experience education uh and science um in a more meet them where they are uh way so thinking about the platforms and the mediums where um a digitally native consumer um can really understand science and how we translate that is something we spend an inordinate amount of time and resources on at seed um, it's something we care very deeply about a little bit more of let's teach a human to fish versus talk about your fish all day uh, philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I love that you've reframed it as an opportunity. I am completely with you on that. <laughs> so um, something else that, that is, um, I, I guess, a, a balance that startups are usually looking for is between product development and distribution. And do you, do you think that, um, I'm thinking of a book called Traction, which came out a few years ago, um, where they talk about this, um, and that's kind of what prompted the question for me, but is, is that something that developed in parallel for you in terms of um, developing the product? Did you develop the product and then figure out where, where to uh, market it, where to sell it, or do those two happen in tandem, or what were what were your how did things evolve in that way? Oh yeah, it's it's you know it's a really great question because I always say that you know we're a company that's really led by science, and I think that um, you know look there's a lot of the CP there's no shortage of CPG companies out in the world that take a bunch of consumer insights, um, and then they go back they take those insights back to their um, their development team and you're really more, it's a little bit more of the, you asked, we listened, here's what we created, um, which is not exactly how science works. And so it really, look, it, it depends <laughs> the approach, I would say feedback and what the market needs. Um, and certainly that insight, of course, you know, one of the things you learn about the best science is that it almost sometimes doesn't matter if you can't translate it. Um, and translating it isn't just content, translating it is packaging, translating it is how you market it, who, whom you market it to, um, where you market it, as you know, the medium is, is the message sometimes. Um, and so the answer is that there are certain aspects of what we do that, of course, come from insights and understanding um, where people are and, and what's needed. But for the most part, on the product and R&D side, everything is led by science. For example, we have many, many opportunities to commercialize probiotics today um, that while they do have some clinical work behind them or strains that we've identified that we believe would make a compelling consumer product, we just kind of don't do that. Um, like as an example, if, if I had five or six more capsules um, for different indications, I could probably do more from a wholesale perspective because you could do something like called shelf blocking. And, um, you know, we, we our conversations with Whole Foods and the targets of the world would look quite different. Um, it's just not how, it's just not how. So for the, 
just, sorry to interrupt, but just to clarify yeah. for the audience, what, yeah. what's shelf blocking? It's, it's so like everybody when you knows. have, you know, for, for a brand, it's kind of when you see a brand, um, you know, they, they're, they're able to have a conversation with Whole Foods that says we want to buy X percent of the shelf or be able to say, well, we'll guarantee this amount of SKUs. Whereas you can imagine, like, you don't see a lot of brands that have like one SKU on the shelf. It's just not kind of how how like wholesale or retail works at scale. Um, and so we've had, we, we give up a lot of quite opportunistic, um, kind of meaningful opportunities financially um, in favor of actually going where we believe the greatest innovation will come from, which is typically more costly and certainly takes longer. Um, and so that, that's just been our approach since the beginning. And, and, and if you're going to be led by science, we kind of really, really are meaningfully hold that up. Um, and of course, on the therapeutic side, that that is very much, um, you know, we look at unmet medical needs. So, you know, something something like urinary tract infection is a huge, a great example where um, that is a huge need. Um, where until now, the science just wasn't there. Um, and so, it's it's a beautiful thing when the science can get to a place where you can make a tremendous impact. Um, and uh, and and hopefully, working with FDA to to try and get those through quickly, given the the public need for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, and, and you talk about the science with such confidence and knowledge, obviously, and, and you're not a scientist, and yet you're leading a, a science-heavy company. And um, I, I think, you know, that it can be, startups can, can be, tend to be one of two things, that somebody knows how to do something, and then they create a company out of it, whereas you've seen an opportunity and you've brought in Folks who were, I mean, your your chief scientific officer, um, Gregor Reed, is is kind of an international expert on this kind of thing. How what do you what do you think that brings to the table that that you as a non scientist bring that that uh, maybe wouldn't be the case if if the company is being led by a scientist? Sure. Well, I can't not talk about my co-founder um, who leads our, <laughs> our R and D, and so I'm, I don't do all of that myself. Certainly, and I, I don't think I certainly shouldn't. Um, to your first point about being able to speak about it proficiently, I mean, I think you know, look, I'm well, well beyond ten thousand hours um, at this point. <laughs> and, and as I mentioned, like scientific translation is like base is, is such a huge part of our DNA. We have. Our whole marketing team's um, background is in storytelling, um, depend on different mediums for sure. But um, but that is that is you know our, the the DNA here. And and interestingly, oftentimes to your point about what you typically see at a company, and then I'll get to kind of how we do the science part. Is usually it's a, a biotech or a life science company starts and later hires marketers. Um, or storytellers, the people who are responsible mm-hmm. for communicating, um, or it goes the other way, which is you have an entrepreneur that has a great idea, um, and they start kind of eventually finding some advisors um, that have science-y backgrounds, um, or start, in my opinion, kind of commoditizing the the word science and and maybe um, being a bit misleading about about their DNA. Um, and I think what's unique about us is that we, um, I, I, I like to say it's either in the batter or in the frosting. Um, and, uh, and, <laughs> and you great. can always tell, um, you always know. Uh, and, and certainly I, I think at this point we can pattern recognize enough and spot, spot, which is which from, 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 you know, from a first touch point, but, um, but we're very unique because we have both. Um, and our, and our co-founder, uh, you know, dynamic is, and, and certainly our backgrounds is a reflective of that. And so, um, my co-founder's background is, is in that in those areas um, that I don't have expertise in, and mine are in the areas that he doesn't have expertise in, and he oversees 
um, you know, our advisory, our clinical trial, uh, our R&D roadmap, um, our portfolio and all of our therapeutics and regulatory and IP. Um, and then we kind of cross over for finance and operations. And then uh, I oversee all the other um, aspects. And so we, we are quite complementary. And so I couldn't, I just would like, I, I just can't take credit uh, where credit is not due, which is, you know, he's, he's done an extraordinary job um, of building um, our, the life sciences uh, part of our batter, so to speak. <laughs> and both of us, I think, work very hard to make sure nothing is ever frosting. Yeah. Well, you and, and Raja Deer, who's your co-founder, and, and tell me if I pronounced that incorrectly, but um, he, your co-founders and co-CEOs, and while co-founders are not unusual, co-CEOs are not always something people can make work. So what is it about your relationship that you think really makes that work well? You know, I, actually, it's funny. Investors always ask us, how can you guys do all this and or what makes Seed special? Um, and I think sometimes there isn't enough probing into the co-founder dynamic or relationship. Um, our answer is almost always um, us and our friendship and our relationship um, and, mm. and, and our dynamic and, and how complimentary we are. And I think I, I, I say this all the time and, and Raj and I kind of say this to, to people a lot, which is, you know, he's truthfully one of the most both meaningful, but also healthiest and best uh, relationships in my life. And, and that came from a lot of times of getting a lot of time getting to know one another, um, a lot of deep um, conversations about where meaning will be derived and what we do and what we personally want to wake up and do every day. Of course, um, that, that shouldn't be idealized or, um, you know, or, you know, or, or, or hyperbolized because of course there's always things that you don't, you wish you didn't have to do, but, but I think it's very sure. meaning careful not to create something that while it could be financially successful would mean that we wake up and do something every day we don't want to be doing. Um, I think we, are extraordinary decision makers to one another uh, and, and help each other make decisions. Um, there's no, like we get asked a lot about who breaks the tie and we say like, they're <laughs> both close principles thinkers, which means that if you come from that framework, that means that there has to be a tie um, or there would have to be a tie break. And, and we just don't work that way. Um, if something, the, the truth is, is that we've never not been able to solve anything um, in over four years without walking around the block. Um, and it's just that like healthy dynamic, mutual respect, um, first principles thinking, which is core to our, our culture, but also core to how we talk through and work through things, which means that you're typically not coming from a place of emotion and attachment to your idea. Um, you're actually needing to always apply that first principles thinking, which is let's throw away, you know, all the guardrails or presumptions or assumptions that are going to go into my opinion of this before. And, and let's literally look at every single option and then uncover what, what really is the truth. And I think that's been beautiful. And also just from a purely practical perspective, we literally, people are always like, you step on each other's toes? And we're always like, we literally, our toes are not even in the same house. Um, you know, <laughs> there's only a few times like our, you know, our doorsteps touch and that's around like finance and operations and corporate communications for the most part. And while we work very closely with each other in different areas, like ownership and everything is incredibly uh, clear. Hmm. Well, and not everybody's willing to sort of explore all the options the way you described. It's It takes some, um, I mean, it takes work, which most people are, are, are 
willing to do in that position, but it's really about awareness of what the options are and being willing to really tease those out. So um, yeah, I think that's a really valuable process. Um, yes, agreed. And, and, I, and, and it's been, and I think it's one that then trickles out um, culturally, which yeah. I think ends up with a much less reactive culture um, a, a culture where you you also earn a, like there's a lot of trust that when we make a decision, it's come from a methodology that um, I think is more actually more more akin to the scientific method, which you may appreciate given your background, uh, and one that I think ends up not feeling emotional or from it from a place of attachment, which I think is where some of the best decisions, professionally or personally, are made. Um, and I think we care a lot about that. Um, about that that methodology and um, and believe it's what leads us to the best decisions. Yeah. Well, since you mentioned culture, I'm curious how, how do you how would you describe the culture at Seed? Um, and maybe I maybe I can say Seed Health because since that's your parent company. For sure. Yeah. Um, the way that we the way that we think about obviously culture is a funny word when you work in bacteria. Um, it has many <laughs> meanings. Um, okay. But from a company culture perspective. Um, I think we love our incessant um, search um, for for truthfulness, um, and and I think we love the you know there's a we we like to say you know like there's a give it there's certainly an aspect of give a shit in our culture which we we always <laughs> metaphors because we're in probiotics but you know give a shit meaning like accountability that means accountability to one another that means accountability to our community. Um, that means accountability to our scientists for being integrous and never hyperbolic and never sensationalizing. Um, that means a deep accountability for the environmental work that we do um, and accountability to um, the FedEx guy that delivers every day. Um, I think we just try and look at the micro, which is another big part of our culture, which is this notion that sometimes the unseen and the smallest things have such a huge impact, which I'm sure we can talk further about um, when it comes to, to impact. But, um, you know, of course we work in the invisible world, which, you know, everything we do is can't be seen by the human eye. Um, and so um, and so we, we are always thinking about these like kind of the invisible um, and the small um, and how that ladders up to big. Um, as I mentioned, kind of the give a shit, we, we have a, a couple other mantras like meet them where they are, which means that while we do have such rigor with our science, it is so critical that the communication of it can meet people where they are. Um, and that's very meaningful and, and important to us. And, and that means not speaking above people. And if we get feedback that something needs to be translated or better communicated, really being rigorous and, and responsive um, to that. Um, and then I think, and first principles, which I already mentioned, but it is a framework that we think very much in, um, which is undo all the assumptions that went into this um, before you make a decision um, and before you decide something. And that could mean anything from interpersonal dynamics, because you don't like how somebody slacked you something, um, all the way to um, a very big decision about a clinical trial um, and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a submission to the FDA, as an example. Yeah. Well, I am really interested in exploring um, some of the little things that you see happening. And, and it kind of ties in with the question I have around, how do you see your role in developing and nurturing cultures? Is it something that you feel kind of responsible for? Or is it more of a shared 
experience and if you can kind of interweave those things it would be great to to hear about each of those aspects absolutely so so we use a lot of biological metaphors just because ecosystems in the natural environment and particularly how bacteria behave have a lot of they could teach us a lot of things about how we think society should be um you know i i started seed i can speak from my personal journey almost like as an experiment of could I create a company that reflects how I wish the world was more. Um, and so there is a kindness um, and a kind of uh, valuing of, of symbiosis um, that I do, uh, that we, we kind of instill in everything and, and a rigor and a, and a responsibility and accountability that we really try and hold ourselves to that certainly um, comes from Raja and myself, um, and that I do feel a deep responsibility for. I feel more responsible for creating, you know, the 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 appropriate um, the rules of our ecosystem and and kind of some of the the um, the ideas. And I feel stewardship of the expression of them, but not ownership. Um, if that means, mm-hmm. and, and I think that that's just yeah. about providing agency to the, to your to any anybody that works here um, but I I think that it also gets you out of a reactive and kind of babysitting uh, kind of leadership which I think you see a lot in early stage startups um, that I try and at least be very self-aware of you know we 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 also I think the transparency and, and vulnerability with which we lead um, is, is another great example of this um, we do quarterly reviews, not not yearly. I think yearly um, leaves too much to unsaid, and I think it's just too long to go without kind of yeah. the appropriate amount of feedback. And you know, I, so, I totally yeah, agree. And, our, and, and we do peer review, so you're you know you're getting quite a lot of feedback from your peers, um, which I think is really nice. But Raja and I um, synthesize all of our reviews, and we actually do it in front of the whole company um, very transparently. So. You know, I think self-reviewing yourself, taking everybody's feedback in front of everybody um, is both a great act of vulnerability um, and certainly surrendering yes. to a certain point. But it's a, it's a way of us actually articulating something that we care deeply about, which was kind of my last part of the um, cultural comment, which is it doesn't allow for storytelling. And I always say, like, our storytelling should, you know, should serve and what you see in companies, and you see this in early stage companies, you see it in later stage companies, is you know the commiseration um, and toxicity when a pathogen kind of starts in a company and it starts to metastasize or spread. It is typically because there aren't the right cultural permissions in place to work through it and the lack of agency that you could be a part of solving it. And so storytelling, what we try and the reason we try and talk about it in front of everybody is so that self, you know, self-awareness can be inspiring um, and vulnerability can be really inspiring. And so if Raj and I can talk about how shitty we are at something or the areas <laughs> that came directly from the people that we're talking to and in some cases from each other to one another, I think it kind of diffuses um, the, the feeling of like needing to grab a coffee and walk around the block a lot. Um, and commiserate um, because it does open up. A, there's a there's an avenue to give feedback. Um, every single person in the company does our reviews, so um, it's not just like our direct reports. Um, and everyone reviews the company, 
as an entity, as an ecosystem. So we do those three, myself, Raja, and the company in front of everybody. And I think it just kind of allows us to have like pretty open conversations about the things we need to work on. So it doesn't feel like these conversations have to feel so private and opaque. Um, and yeah. they're not like, you know, they're not, um, there's not an energy to them that feels kind of like yucky, which I've seen in other companies that I've been, that I've been in um, or advised um, and, or get, you know, get vented to from, from friends uh, about. And so, yeah, so I think that those are some examples of, of ways we try and at least take some, um, take, take steward, but not, I guess, um, oversee every little detail of. Yeah. I love that you do this, uh, you know, self-review in front of the whole company and get feedback. I mean, I, it's an incredibly vulnerable uh, thing to do. It takes courage and the value of it is just extraordinary from a modeling standpoint, as well as actually, um, well, I guess modeling a way of communicating or a way of being with each other that's super, super constructive. So I really, I want to congratulate you on that because it's very rare that I hear about um, people being willing to do that in front of the folks they work with. So I, I think that has a profound effect on them and and uh, on their on people's experience of of uh, being in a workplace and having impact in that context. So, how 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 is your how have have you and and this of course ties in with the question of leadership. So how have you consciously developed your own leadership? I mean, you you may not have kind of just landed on this approach <clears throat> from the start. It's it's something that. I may have evolved over time. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, of course, absolutely. I would say, I mean, how have I evolved it? I've I've lived through a lot of unpleasant experiences. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've observed a lot of things I don't think work or serve. I, I'll be honest; like the the a lot of the terms of the professional world, like leadership, um, success, career. The, the lexicon of our professional lives, I find, like, doesn't serve us because I think there is this notion that, and I think this is part of why sometimes I think there's, look, we have, we're in a moment where there's a lot of um, mental Ill, mental health issues and, 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 you know, a lot of things are, are, are being kicked around as, as ways of kind of disrupting systems that maybe don't serve us. And I think as somebody who never wanted to be you know, in the workplace, meaning like in the professional workplace. And I, I certainly started in um, probably the most unprofessional workplace, which was entertainment. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think that um, none of that stuff resonates to me as much as, I mean, you could ask me the same question and say, you know, how has being a human being in the world evolved for you? Um, and the answer is probably exactly the same, which is, you know, you, you witness um, dynamics and things don't, that don't really serve you or the people around you in your relationships. Um, it, you know, the same, uh, I always say like, you know, there's a few things that I, I care deeply about. One is safe draft, um, which is, you know, I think so much of leadership and just being a kind human being is what you don't say um, and, and what you say for yourself and doesn't need to be said. Um, and really like, I think so much, I mean, like I, I'm a very avid longtime yogi and, um, there's a lot of lessons certainly from, from pra doing practices like that, that, that are just, just breathing as an example, um, <laughs> um, that are really important. But I think from a leadership perspective, the same trajectory of, of, of like 
quote unquote, being a better leader is really just come from me continually wanting to be a, the best human being that I can. Um, of course, like I became a parent and that, that, that then I think adds onto um, a whole other layer of experiencing the world and then what I can share and bring back to my, to, to my team and um, to my co-foundership and, you know, to, to our community um, in a way that I wouldn't have been able to prior to being a mother. Um, and so I think a lot of my life trajectory is probably informed so much of what I am now as a leader. And I think I've, I've also been able to have the, the, the luxury um, and, and certainly I think the honor of a lot of really bad experiences that were incredible teachers to me, um, even, w- even whether it was me doing it or, or more just witnessing um, what, what just doesn't work. Um, and I think that's that synthesis, and and that and that's where the self review comes from. It's where Raj and I first principles comes from, which is, you know, it's it's like the defi- you know, it's like the definition of insanity. It's like you can you can watch these things happen over and over again, but at the end of the day, um, I think you learn that like a, a personal conversation will probably almost always be better than um, yeah. lacking someone, uh, you know, in the middle of the night. You know, it's like it's just that there's only you know, you just do it enough times, and you know, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good get the right result and you know i think the best leaders are just pattern recognizers honestly um mm-hmm. and and have a deep willingness to be better um which doesn't mean you yeah. which doesn't this is why the self-reviews work it's like it doesn't there's no set part of a self-review that there's never not there's never not going to be anything on that slide um of what we can improve but it is the it is the reflection and modeling that like everybody has something that they need to work on um and could be working on of course um, you know for themselves and for the for the greater community. Yeah. I, um, I think that's it's interesting that you put it as our great leaders or pattern recognizers. I think that it's that learning from experience and recognizing something so you can then implement it. That's, uh, that's all so important. Well, I, I feel like I could keep asking you questions, but I'm going to limit you to one more. And, and that is around uh, funding, which is, um, you know, it's a big issue for people growing companies and and becoming knowledgeable in that realm and and i mean you're in uh, a field that requires a lot of capital investment and let's face it it's high risk in the sense of you know it's a it's a highly regulated mm-hmm. um it's a high regulatory bar with with the uh, fda and and uh all of those things. So um, I'm really curious about your journey with, you know, learning about the whole realm of financing and, and, uh, and you've been very successful in getting funding. You've got some really high profile investors for your company. Um, I'll be honest. I've been raising money since I was 18 years old. Um, (laughs) I don't, I don't, I would say that, and you know, and, and I'm kind of picking up my phone right now and you know, there's about, 15,000 people on this phone from over the years. Uh, uh, yeah, you, we usually, we actually deduped it recently and that was about the, the number. Um, and, wow. um, and so I think, you know, it's kind of not dissimilar to what I was saying earlier about the hustle and the connecting of dots that were previously disconnected, which is, you know, from a storytelling perspective, I think, and, and especially right now, I mean, there's just, there's an inordinate amount of capital in the world um, certainly now, it, you know, first it was venture capital and now it's, you know, private equity funds are moving more upstream and investing in things much earlier so they can get the deals later. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the investment banks are creating venture funds so they can get the IPOs earlier. Um, family offices are becoming more and more 
um, applicable um, and, and, and unique source of capital. And of course, you have angel investors, which means any qualified investor in the, in, in the world can give you money. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's digital tools now and, and self-organizing groups that invest together and the alumni of Stanford get together and they have a fund. And so it's it's interesting. There's there's just so, so many sources these days. And um, I would say, you know, for us, I think there were a number of things that, you know, kind of give you a great advantage. One, one of course, was when you're a solo entrepreneur and you've you've built companies before. Um, that always helps because the best investors are usually back people and not ideas. Um, and so, a lot of times, you you know, they they followed you and and want to continue, and they always believe that there'll be one, at least one good one, <laughs> across you know, in, in your lifetime. And then. Is back for all, for all the rest. I say the second is that if you say the word microbiome or microbes um, in a lot of rooms these days, there's a tremendous amount of capital that wants to learn and, and not miss this wave. Um, so also, I would say that call that good good timing. Um, and uh, and then on top of that, I think there's an aspect of when you tell the story, sort of storytelling and design and communication of of your idea. Um, and and again, connecting the 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 dots that haven't been connected before. Um, typically, per, for example, because we do for ex- just both consumer and therapeutics, that is quite unusual. Um, and so I think there are there's an appreciation for um, our, our model um, and you kind of, which self-selects, I think, for the best people. So some rooms say, mm-hmm. well, we couldn't even look at that because you do therapeutics. Uh, biotech investor says, we can't even look at this as you consumer. Walk into another investor's office in Silicon Valley, and they say, "We believe what you're doing is the model of the future." Um, and it's like so, so, so much of it is if you tell your story with clarity, it kind of self-selects um, for the right people um, yeah. versus trying to shape shift your your way into um, making it work for someone else. And I think that that's been a big truth for us um, as a lot of different capital has come to us over the last few years. Yeah, which is, uh, I mean, it's always that shape shifting is always tempting, especially for, uh, you know, someone early along in that process. Yeah, but it's, you so. know, it's like, it's like, it's like on the third date telling someone you want to have kids, you know, <laughs> you know it's like, it's, it's, you know, at, at some, at some point that'll bite you in the ass, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, Ara, um, I think this has uh, been such a great conversation. I, I always wrap up these uh, interviews with a rapid round of three questions about impact. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. First one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? That sometimes the smallest, uh, possibly even most invisible (laughs) things um, can make the greatest ripple. Mm. Mm, Yeah, that's great. Second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Breathing. And that is not a small thing. <laughs> not a small thing. And the last question is, what's one insight or piece of advice that you'd share with somebody who's asking, how can I contribute more? How can I have impact in large and small things? You know, oh, this is a hard one. I, I always go back to my mom died when I was 17. And the last thing that she ever gave me was this little pin from a little gift shop um, in the Berkshires of Massachusetts that said she didn't always follow the recipe. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I really believe some of the greatest impact that you can make is 
detaching from some notion that there is a one way to do something um, and really, really deeply believing and doubling down on um, the, the, the path that's yours and not anybody else's. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think in some ways, you know, there's that beautiful quote that I will certainly butcher right now, but you know, what the world needs now is people, people meaningfully living um, and, and raising children <laughs> to meaningfully, uh, you know, think about um, how, how to create more meaning and sustainability in this world. And I think that the way that someone wants to have impact sometimes is really just remembering that it's just not done one specific way. And I don't think the greatest innovations and the greatest things that have the biggest ripples in our world came from um, people following a, a, a path that um, that seemed to be the way to do it. And I, I think that, that is something that I, I deeply believe in. Yeah, well, it's profound and you've certainly lived that out. So um, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. And Ara, thank, thank you for being here today. It's been an amazing conversation with, uh, uh, with you, just the very thoughtful way that you're uh, bringing your companies along and, uh, and really playing such an important role in, in from every realm, from a wellness perspective to people's experience at work and, and fulfillment and sustainability. So thank you so much for sharing everything that you have today. Thank you for so, your thoughtful questions and the community, you know, the, the conversations that you cultivate. I think just those probably ripple out themselves and have a great impact. So thank you. No, oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. If, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Sure. So um, if you want to follow um, Seed on Instagram, it's just at Seed. If you want to learn more about our consumer innovations and probiotics, it's seed.com. Uh, we didn't get to talk about it, but our environmental work, like our probiotic for honeybees, is also on Seed.com and under Seed Lab if mm. you're interested. And then me personally on Instagram, it's at Aracat. Great. Well, I, I, yeah, as I said, I feel like there's so many ways we could, uh, so many things we could still talk about, but I do want to thank you for the work you're doing in the world, Hour. Thank you. And if I might give one last little plug, um, if anybody yeah. inspired by this and is looking for what's next for them or a job, we are intensely recruiting as we build the team. And so um, there's also all of our roles are listed on our website also. Mm, yeah, fantastic. Thank you for pointing that out. We appreciate you and and, uh, and your presence today. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at workalchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes, subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.